Good evening. Uh, this evening's reading, first reading, is taken from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. It's verses 7 to 12, and then skipping a couple, then 16 to 18. It's on the sheets, on the screen, and on, in the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'm going to read out loud this lovely little psalm, uh, Psalm 112. It might not be on the big screen. No. I say it's good because I didn't bring my reading glasses, so it might not be. <laughs> no, I've got it on my phone, so I'm going to cheat and read it off this. <clears throat> Here we go. Um, psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord who greatly delight in his commandments. Commands, I'm reading the wrong version. Let's go. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear, and in the end they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honour. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Thank you, Clive. And good evening, friends. Good to be with you tonight. As has been mentioned, my name is Jack. If we haven't had the chance to meet, we'd love to get the chance to say hello later on. Lovely to have you if you're new with us as well. And as we start tonight, I want to begin by asking you, who do you look up to? Who do you look to for an example when life's confusing, when you don't know where to go? Is there someone you turn to and say, what would they do? 
in different seasons of life, there are all sorts of ways that we, we learn and grow and, and different means that God uses to help us grow in our understanding. Sometimes we need his commandments, just we need to be told what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes we need the, the wisdom that the Bible gives us, where we, we get to explore what life looks like in all its complexities and weigh the different factors that might contribute to the decisions we make. But one of the key ways that God gives us in his world to grow and to learn his ways is by having someone a few steps ahead who we look up to. And I take it at some level we human beings are wired to be imitators. There's something deep within us that looks to someone else to know which way to go. I think that's true from the very beginning of our life, our earliest days. At the moment, I watch my youngest son, Max. I have three children. Our youngest, Max, is about 18 months old, and he is an absolute sponge at the moment, just watching everything and soaking it all in. So, for good or ill, if his older brother or sister knock their cup of milk onto the floor, you can watch Max just track it with his eyes, and he just takes his cup and just throws it. And he knows, oh, that's, that's what they did. That's what we're meant to do, right? We just we learn, we watch and learn. That's true for us in our earliest days, and it never ceases to be true as we go on. I remember as a younger Christian, as a teenager back in my home church growing up, I looked up immensely to one of the ministers serving in that church. His name is Mike. As I came of age, I was a part of his home group for a few years, and that relationship with him is one of the most formative experiences in my Christian life. Often he would open up his home early on home group night to whoever would want to come along and join them for dinner, and I got to watch his family life. Got to watch how he spoke to his kids, how he treated his wife. I'm not from a Christian home, so I'd never seen what it looked like to have a Christian father, but he was a man who took me in and gave me a model for what it looks like to, to raise children in the Lord. And still, 15 years on from that group, I still find myself thinking so often, what would Mike do? Who is it for you? Whose model do you follow? As natural-born imitators, there's no accident in all of this. Imitation is something that God calls us to again and again throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul tells us, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The book of Proverbs tells us, you better be careful who you associate with, because if you're friends with someone who has gone off the rails, you may learn their ways and be ensnared too. But in the psalm we're looking at tonight, Psalm 112, God gives us the highest and most profound example to follow that he could himself. We're going to see how through this ancient Hebrew poem, God calls his people throughout every age, us included, to lift our eyes to him and to follow him in his ways. Psalm 112 is about the blessings that come to God's faithful people, but it's about the the blessings that come to people who live that faithful life modelled on his faithfulness. This is going to be a really important night to have the Bible open in front of you. It would be great to grab one of those pew Bibles and open it up because you're not just going to need Psalm 112 tonight, you're also going to need Psalm 111. And I don't think the publishers intended this, but in our pew Bibles, the two Psalms just set out beautifully side by side in the Bible that's in front of you. So it would be great to have that open so you can read along. This is a Psalm about the blessings that come to God's faithful ones, to the righteous That's the headline at the start of the psalm, verse 1. Praise the Lord, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. The first half of the psalm is mostly about how God blesses the righteous person. The second half focuses on what that righteousness looks like in our lives. But before we get to the details of this psalm, we need to first see how that upright, righteous life of God's man or woman involves modelling ourselves on God himself. 
And you're not going to find that in any one verse of this psalm that we're looking at tonight. Because this truth comes out as we see this psalm in context and see how it relates to the psalm that has come before. And this is really a broader principle for all of us. As we read the psalms, one of the things for us to take away is sometimes the links between the different psalms help us understand what God is saying to us through any individual one. And that may be surprising to you, that that may be something that we we tend to miss. Most of us, I think, tend to read the Psalms in isolation. We look at these 150 different chapters, and most of them stand as independent sort of compositions, and it's true that each one does stand on its own merits. But it's also true that the Psalms, there is is a lot more going on than just 150 independent poems. Sometimes we think of it as if someone's taken, you know, this is Israel's hymn book, and it's as if someone's taken the the church stack of sheet music for the songs we sing on Sunday and just kind of tossed it in the air and all the leaves are flying around and then gather them up into a random pile where there's no particular order. Sometimes that's how we view the book of Psalms. But the reality is that the book of Psalms is this deliberate and organized collection that has this shape to it. Sometimes you see that in seeing the overall journey of the Psalms where there's more sad Psalms, there's more laments at the start and they end in praise. Sometimes you see it in little groups of psalms that seem to have links. So if you look at the psalms looking at tonight, Psalm 111, 112, 113, they all start with the same line. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it's two words. Hallelujah. Three little psalms that have that same heading. And just as an aside, that, that, that set of words is worth commenting on because it's, it's a phrase that we know, isn't it? Hallelujah. It's just still part of the English vernacular. It's in our psalms. It's in our songs and, and hymns that we still sing today. Hallelujah means... Praise all of you. It's a, it's a plural command. It's, it's all of us together. Tell the world how great this person is. And who is it who we praise? Yah, the shortened form of Yahweh, the name of God who, who stands behind those capital letters L O R D, Lord, in our Bible. So when you see those words, Hallelujah, when we sing those, that's the command to praise the Lord, not to, not to praise Molech, not to praise Baal or any of the other gods out there. As we sing those words, we're saying, Hallelujah, praise be to the Lord. The God who has made himself known to us through our Lord Jesus. That's what the heading that binds this set of psalms together. And there's more evidence than that that Psalm 111 and 12, they, they go together. Firstly, both of them are acrostic poems, and it's hard to see that in English, but in the Hebrew, this, this, was, this was written, both of these psalms are 22 lines where each letter begins with the, sorry, each line begins with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So, it sort of goes A, B, C, D through the lines. Both 111 and 12 have that same structure, so they're, they're meant to be read together. 111 verse 10 begins, ends with the, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. But the fear of the Lord is at the end there. And then the next psalm, our one tonight, begins with the fear of the Lord. Blessed are all those who fear the Lord. You can see that binds these two psalms together as well. The most important thing for us is to see that what we're seeing tonight, the life of the godly person, the way that it's described is exactly the same way that God himself has been described in Psalm 111. So have a look at Psalm 111, verse 3. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, the Lord's deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. His righteousness endures forever. Then you look at Psalm 112, verse 3, same numbered verse. Wealth and riches are in their houses, God's people, and their righteousness endures forever. God's righteousness endures forever, so does ours. Verse 4 in 111. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Verse 4 in 112. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. 
for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. We who are gracious and compassionate are called up into his purposes too. So you can see that there's a lot of detail there, isn't there? I can kind of tell this is a little bit overwhelming. Why does that all matter? Why does this all matter? It is so important for us to see that this list of good things that God's people do is not just a do better, try harder. If you want to be blessed, live the good life, and here's the instruction, man, you just got to work at it. No, in context, it is the Lord and his faithful deeds that we start with. It is the Lord whose righteousness endures. It is the Lord who is gracious and compassionate. And we begin with his character and his goodness. That is the place where our character has a hope of starting. We, we imitate him. That's the point. The righteous life of those who trust the Lord must start with the righteous deeds that the Lord has done. And if we know our gracious and compassionate Lord and all the good he has done, then that is going to well up with his own grace in us. Like the jug of water that you just keep pouring water into and it just keeps bubbling over and it just doesn't stop. It flows over the edge. We who have taken hold of God's compassion can find it welling up so that it overflows to others. That's the crucial thing we need to see, that the blessings that come to God's righteous people don't come because they try harder to, to tickle the boxes. That righteous life flows from God's righteousness. Coming into Psalm 112 proper, let's have a look at, at these verses we see. So the first half, as I said, these are the blessings that come to God's righteous people. Read with me from verse 1 again. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. How are they blessed? Verse 2, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. This is one of the typical Old Testament pictures of blessing, the the promise of an enduring line of of descendants, of children and children's children, the generations to come, that that God's purposes to bless will not just end with this group of people, but that the generation to come will experience his promises again and again. Blessings going down through the ages. How else are those who fear the Lord blessed? Verse 3, wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Material blessings here, wealth, prosperity, the people who are blessed with good things in this life. Verse 4, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, just as God is, as we have seen. The light that dawns in darkness, this, this poetic image, not a guarantee that dark times will never come, because the righteous are in darkness, but a promise that dark times will end, that God brings deliverance, that after the night there will always be a dawn. On the whole, these first few verses, they give us this picture that those who follow the Lord and show his compassion will be blessed with the good life, with family, with material blessings, with the promise of of redemption and, and hope after the darkness. Everything that our world would look at and say, that is, that is the hashtag blessed life, is it not? The good life comes to those who are righteous as the Lord is. When you hear words like that, if you're anything like me, one of the first thoughts is, really? You're so quick to think, doesn't that sound a little bit, a little bit of an overpromise and underdeliver? A little overly triumphalistic? Blessing comes sometimes, I'm sure, but how often is life hard, full of challenges, pains and sorrows? For generations, words like these in the Bible have made people question, 
is the problem with me? Sure, blessed are those who fear the Lord. Is it just that I don't fear the Lord enough? God's promised to bless those who are righteous. I mustn't meet the grade. One of the great tensions of this psalm, and really the whole book of psalms, is the gap between promise and experience. Between the blessings that God has held forth and how they actually seem to turn up in our lives. And there are no easy, straightforward answers here, but some of the things I think we need to think for, for, for to begin with are, firstly, that we're very quick to jump to the challenges. Sometimes it's important for us to recognise how often it does go the way that Psalms like this put it. God's commandments are the best way to live because he's the creator who's designed us. He knows how human beings work. And so most of the time, to walk in his ways, to to turn from anger and a, a mean spirit and instead to embrace love and patience, that generally goes well for us. Turning from lies and embracing honesty, turning from idleness and embracing hard work, most of the time those things go well for people in the world who seek to walk God's path. Often that is how it works. Of course, sometimes it's not. And we can all think of people who have trusted the Lord Jesus and walked in his ways and faced untold hardship. And yet even then, I don't know if you know people like this, but I certainly do, those who have gone through the darkest days sometimes seem to be those who have the most rich testimony to how good life with God has been. That even walking through the darkness brings this this richness of knowing that Jesus is with us even on the hardest days. Hard times doesn't mean that blessing is impossible. Sometimes hard times is exactly when blessing is experienced. And so it's important that we count our blessings, that whatever it is we do have, whether it's your health or a roof over your head or the church family to walk alongside you and most supremely a Lord who loves you and has laid down his life for you, sometimes we're blessed far more than we even realise. And all of that is important and yet does not deny the reality, does it, that we still live in a world that is broken. And so often words like this psalm, wealth and riches in their houses, blessed are those who fear the Lord, there are always days when they ring hollow. We need to know that that is, at one level, what we should expect, because it's the road that Jesus himself walked. The the psalms are the songs that God has given us to sing but we always need to remember that they were Jesus' songs before they are ours. Imagine what it would have been like for Jesus to grow up with this book as his hymn book. He would have sung the psalms in the synagogue, learned them from his childhood, gone up to Jerusalem singing the songs of ascents on his, on his pilgrimage to the temple year after year. Our Lord Jesus would have known these words back to front, meditated them, memorized them, shaped his own prayers by them. They are his songs. And who else has a greater right to sing them? The one true righteous man, the one man who can wear that label faithful without any hint of irony or hypocrisy. What would it have been like for Jesus to sing this psalm walking through the veil of the shadow, climbing up the hill to the cross? Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. 
The Psalms are for us who, just like the Lord Jesus, sit in that gap between promise and experience. We who are called to trust our God, just as Jesus did, knowing that obedience is the road to blessing, and yet knowing that often, always, suffering comes before glory. Here is the encouragement for us to keep following the Lord and walking in his ways. How blessed are those who fear the Lord. Blessed in the here and now, blessed with joy hearing his word, knowing that he speaks to us. Blessed as he provides for us day after day because he does. Blessed with the rich fellowship of fellow travelers, people walking alongside us who get it. Here in the company of God's people. And blessed all the more on the day when Jesus comes again, when light will dawn for the last time and darkness will be no more. And while we wait, we keep following, keep walking that road because it is the Lord's road to blessing. Let's turn to the second half of our psalm where the focus turns to what this righteous life looks like for the one who would follow God and imitate him to live his life of compassion and generosity. Verse 5, we read, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. 6, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honour. If you had to sum it up in two words, I take it the picture of the righteous life we have here is generosity and confidence. Generosity and confidence. There in verse 5, the good will come to those who are generous, who lend freely. The blessed person is the one who takes of the abundance they have been blessed with and doesn't hoard it to themselves, but shares it around liberally. The one who sees that, as we said, the good life overflows as as we bubble over and keep pouring out goodness to others. Verse 5, they are those who conduct their affairs with justice. Here it's the picture of one who who deals fairly and honestly with people. Maybe in business, if, if you're someone who has oversight over others, this is... The person who doesn't see his workers as a a resource to be exploited or an inconvenience to be managed, but sees them as human beings made in God's image who who deserve to be treated with dignity. The upright boss seeks the good of those in her employ. Generosity. The righteous life looks like confidence as well, trust, steadfastness, security, no fear. We see it there, don't we? Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Heart secure. When you fear the Lord, when you know that God is for you, so who could possibly be against you? When you know that God blesses those who fear him and that one day light will dawn in the darkness forever. Any other bad news this world can throw at you is put in its place. Like we read in our first reading before, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's the kind of confidence that the righteous person has. You see the note of generosity again in verse 9. Freely scattering their gifts to the poor. That, that word freely scattered, it's, it's, a, it's a farming kind of word. It's the picture of the farmer 
pulling buckets of seed out of, sorry, handfuls of seed out of the bucket and scattering them to the wind, scattering them everywhere you can look. This, this lavish picture of generosity, throwing out everything to anyone who could possibly be in need. For me, as I've grappled with this psalm, that image is the most challenging part of it. For me, at best, generosity feels like this very calculated thing. It's me sitting down with my Excel spreadsheet and mapping out budgets and carefully weighing options and considering factors and seeking to be shrewd and and wise. And of course there is a place for that. And yet, to be calculating is our very first thought. It's hard to imagine God and his lavish mercy to us, beginning with a spreadsheet. At worst, generosity is me having my fingers pried off what I am selfishly seeking to hold on as mine. So here, this lavish picture of this radical, extravagant dispersion of good to others, taking the abundance God has given us to be a blessing in turn, that is a challenge. And the psalm closes with this word of warning. We've heard all the blessings that come to those who fear the Lord, and to finish, we get this chilling picture of the alternative. Verse 10. The wicked, on the other hand, the wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. Following the Lord, walking in his ways, does not always feel like an easy path. But we need to be reminded that the alternative is really no alternative at all. It's another reason that God sets before us, that we might stay on his path, because wandering off the road to the path that the world says is going to be more fun. It's going to be more exciting for a time. It's a road that ends only in frustration and despair. To put it all together, as we land this, let's think a little more about what this blessed life of following God, seeking to imitate his righteousness and compassion What does this look like with regards to our generosity, which is one of the big themes we've seen? There's one place in the New Testament where Psalm 112 is quoted, and that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is part of the Bible's longest reflection on this theme of showing generosity to the poor, to those in need. And I take it that's no accident that these two passages link up, because we see in 2 Corinthians how Paul makes the same kind of theological move that Psalms 111 and 12 side by side are making. So let's turn over there. Would you, again, open your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. i got to find it too, so that gives you time to find it as well. This is a section where the Apostle Paul is, is calling on the Christians in Corinth to pay their part, to, to play their part, pun not intended, to, to play their part in giving money to help look after the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And here too it begins not with the call to just tick the box. It's not just the call to do better, try harder, be good. No, here as well we begin with the faithful deeds of God. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And this is the great reversal that the Lord Jesus has done for us in the good news of the gospel, that Jesus who had it all, who was the king of the universe, gave it up and laid down his life for us so that we might experience the abundant riches of his mercy. 
He's the one who begins by lavishing his generosity so that we might be its beneficiaries. But from there, the calling is for those who have experienced that blessing not to hoard it to themselves, but to bubble over with generosity to others. And so as Paul goes on in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians verses 9, read with me from, sorry, chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And there's our quote. You can imagine Paul's got his Bible open at Psalm 112 as he's penning these words, calling Christians to show generosity to those in need. Because we have a generous God who has blessed us with so much. So what do those who fear him do? We bubble over. For you who follow the Lord, for you who have experienced his righteousness and long to show compassion to others, what's it going to look like for you and me to freely scatter our gifts to those who are in need? One of the things I've loved about being part of our church is that I know that so many of us, that kind of generosity is already what characterizes our lives. Here are these wonderful pictures of people giving their money to support those in groups like Jimmy's Cambridge who are caring for the homeless right in our own backyard. Here are people who are sponsoring children through the organisation Compassion who are seeking to free children from poverty in Jesus' name all over the world. Even something simple like making, those, making meals for those in need in our community. What a wonderful picture of that generous, compassionate spirit bubbling over to do good for those in need among us. And my family, we got to experience that firsthand when we arrived on these shores as needy, jet-lagged foreigners looking for help. We've experienced that kind of compassion firsthand from you. So for those of you who are seeking to, to follow Jesus and show that kind of generosity to others, do so more and more. Keep at it. Some of us may need to hear this kind of challenge afresh. And it may be that it feels like this is a pretty hard time to talk about generosity. When you read the news headlines every day, inflation's still high, cost of living crisis, interest rates up, rental stress, mortgage stress. For some of us here in the room, it may be that this last year has been hard and it gets harder and harder. Maybe you're feeling the pinch. The truth is that some of us have been blessed by God with more and with more capacity to show generosity to others. Some of us have been blessed with less. And each of us is only called to be generous with what we have within the limitations that we have been given, not what anyone else has. And yet the flip side is, is, if we are in a cost of living crisis, how much more must there be people not far from us, in our midst perhaps, who are in need more than ever before? Perhaps if you haven't thought about your finances for a while, maybe these weeks in summer where life can be slower for many is a time to, to reassess, to prayerfully ponder the words we've read tonight to ponder the the lavish wealth that Jesus gave up and gave to us. He became poor that we might be rich. Perhaps it's time to think about how you might grow in this grace of giving, knowing that you have been given so much. May we all take the Lord's word to heart. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, 
Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Their righteousness endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Hallelujah. We praise you, our God, who is righteous. Thank you that you are full of compassion and mercy, that you have showed that compassion to your people right through history, that you've showed it to us in our Lord Jesus, who generously, extravagantly gave up all that was his so that we might have it all. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear the word you have put before us tonight. We pray that we would grow to be like you. We pray that we would walk in your ways and grow in righteousness and compassion and in generosity. We pray that you would put to death in us the selfishness that clings. We pray that your extravagant compassion would bubble over and overflow from us, that you might use us to be a blessing to those who are in need. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.